please bring up your Bible and turn to the book of Psalm chapter 1. And so keep standing. Psalm chapter 1. Again, a warm greeting from the leadership of the church to those who are worshiping for the very first time and to all of you. I'm Pastor Abutu, Peter Joshua, and uh, I'm your preacher today. And again, as we did last week, I want us to read the entire Psalm 1, the six verses together at the count of three. Psalm 1, Psalms 1, from verse 1 to 6, at the count of three, we all read together. One, two, three. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. <clears throat> The Lord knows where Spirit of the living God, come afresh upon us. Break us. Melt us. Mold us. Feel us. Spirit of the living God, come afresh upon us. Let the entrance of your word brings illumination, strength, power, encouragement, chastisement, discipline, tutelage, and righteousness. Let your word that comes now fresh from the throne, from the throne of God, come into our heart. Let your word be pungent. Let your word be positive. Let your word comes with profundity, yet with simplicity, that your people might be able to understand that which it will be teaching your church today. Use me to speak as an oracle of Jehovah that I may instruct your word as I ought, that I may not do violence to the Holy Writ, but that will stand Underneath the authority of the Holy Spirit, who is the teacher of all the living. And that all of us today may benefit from your word and that your name be hallowed and glorified. Restrain the hand of Satan from deceiving, from confusing your people. I pray that the power of God be real and evident among us today for clarity for understanding and for the doing of your word. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please return to your seat. Last week I made an attempt to finish this passage so that I can begin, I can begin my series in the book of Acts, but as it happened last week, uh, I discovered that Psalm 1 is much more deeper than I thought. 
So we were able to scratch or maybe touch some points uh, last week, and I'll finish up uh, today trusting the Lord to give me speed and clarity of thoughts. There are four things, there are four lessons that I want us to learn from the book of Psalm 1. One is we've discerned and discussed the identity <coughs> excuse me, of the man, the man righteous that the Bible presents to us in Psalm 1. This man, this man righteous. And I recall saying that this can be any man. The Bible is not saying that blessed or happy is the rich man or happy or blessed is the, the elite, is the man. And this man can be poor, rich, have, have not educated, not educated, whoever you are, and whichever category you belong uh, within the sons of men, you can know of this blessedness. You can be this blessed man. He had nothing to do with your earthly possessions. For real blessings are not physical. And it comes by the mediatory work of Christ. That is what I labored around last week. And this man, we, there are four things that we, we, we identify about this man last week. One is what this man forbid. If the man, if this man, or if this woman, if this boy or girl is reckoned to be righteous, what is the identity? What is the unmistakable identity of this man called righteous? Who is happy and who is blessed? Is that we, we, we know this man by what he forbids, the things that he forbids, the things that he will not allow. And the Bible says this blessed man, this righteous man, will not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. This man will not stand in the way of sinners. And this man will not sit uh, in the seat of the scoffers. In fact, we labored last week to bring to your notice the graduation that comes with sinfulness and, and, and teaches us why this man forbids and abhor sinfulness in his own life. Secondly, what he follows, the pattern of life that this man follows. And thirdly, the fruits that he bears, the results that comes uh, because of his righteousness. And number four, the future, the future that he comes to by the reason of this blessedness. We've dealt with point one. The second point is this righteous man, this man that is blessed, this man that the Bible reckon as blessed. The, the, the second thing we learn about this man, about the pattern that he follow, is that this man is constant. He follow the pattern of constancy. Look at verse uh, 1 again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers too. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
We've moved away from the negatives. What this man will not do, and we are now in the realm of what this man will do. It's not enough to identify a person by what they will not do, but it is much, 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 much positive and good enough to identify people by what they do, what is their regular practice. And this man is constant in his ways. Remember, verse 6 talks about the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. In the way that this guy has patterned his life, the way that he has found, he is constant doing few things. And the reason why this guy is constant with the law of the Lord, first of all, we see, one, that he believes that the living God is a God of law. Look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. He believes the, the man that is walking in the way of righteousness, first of all, must believe that the God he or she professes is a God of law. You know, the idea of law can cause us to cringe as to oh, law, legalism. Oh, I don't, you know, how many of you like lawyers? I may not have lawyers as friends. Yeah, I mean, troublemakers always have lawyers now. Uh, Hanging somewhere now. There's, there's one sticker that Nigerian lawyers used to have at the back of their cars. The one that really caught my attention is, what does lawyers do self? Mm -mm. Within lawyer, they do self. You know? See, the idea of law, particularly for us as Christians who have come to the understanding of grace in the New Testament, seems negative. But the law is not negative. The law is not negative. The God that we serve is the God of law. By definition, Law is a collection of rules imposed by an authority. God is not just the God of law. God is law in and of himself. It's an authority. And whatever God does with us, it comes to us by way of affirmation and fixed rules and order. It's not a God that having created us let us on the loose to go and do whatever with pleases or whatever pleases us. And I think this is what the modern man is craving for, what I call human autonomy. I don't want authority over my head. We, we disregard the authority of God. Now we disregard the authority in marriage. We disregard the authority of our teacher. And then we disregard all kinds of authority. We live in the age of pure rebellion. Uh, against constituted authority from the church to the home to the mall to the class and everything. And do you recognize that if you go to schools now, particularly private schools, even public school in the FCT, uh, public school in the FCT has banned using of a, uh, uh, is it cane? You don't flock children anymore in FCT public school. How much more, you know, you know how they treat children in private school? As if they are, they are eggs. As if if you shout on them, they will just die. So you are always begging children. And then we, even parents now, have spoiled themselves that you are cooking and you are sampling the opinions of your children what they want to eat. 
We have three children. One, one, want, to, one want to eat Indomie and egg. The other one want to eat fry yam. The other one want to eat swallow. And then you are running around to please these rebels <laughs> called children. In fact, in fact, Obodivokan said, he said, if you don't, if you, if you don't believe that children are sinners, you don't have one yet. And he said, children are little vipers in the diapers. And I said, and the reason why they are so little is that they won't kill you. And the reason why they are, they are so cute is that you won't kill them. That is just by the way. So, so the idea of God, how dare God tells me what to do. I, I, I have my own body. I have my own life to live. Who is God? So the righteous man is constant in understanding that there is a God, and this God is the God of law. And this God is not a God of law. This God is law. And, and he's not just like our monarch. He's a monarch, but not like your monarch. Uh, the reason why this God is worthy to be law to himself is that he is just, is righteous and perfect. There is no arbitrariness with him. He cannot injure anyone. He cannot by any means do injustice. He will give to everybody what they deserve and even much more. He's a loving God. So this man understand that the living God is the God of law. And all that he created are not at liberty to do whatever they wishes. You know, we are going to study this now. I think we are dealing with the issue of free will, eh? Human free will. Human free, free, free moral agency is to the extent that God allows it. It's within the bound of the freedom of God. This God is a God of law. Secondly, this second. Uh, before I leave that, and this law, this law is not just thou shalt not, thou shalt not, just to, to spoil your life. You know, I've mentioned this again and again in this church. There's uh, Christianity hard, eh? Yeah? You, know, I've, I, you know, I used to, my friend, a pastor, eat cola not a lot. My father eat cola not a lot. You know, we are cola not uh, people. I recently went to uh, Tommy's house and Kolanot were shared, and I began to eat Kolanot again, again. Back to my sin again. Uh, but this, my friend, is can finish three, two, three, four Kolanot in a day. And I said, Oh God, this is too much. He said, Okay, okay, he said, Okay, Pastor Potter, what, what shall I do now? No, no, allow us carry women. We know they carry women, we know they drink, we know they smoke, we know they eat Kolanot again. So, okay. I said, who are they? I said, oh, so you want to carry a woman? So sometimes we think that we really want to carry a woman. But God is not allowing us as a wicked father. Like your dad. Or like your mom. Who will not allow you to go to party. To go and chill. You know, you remember how your mom, some of you that grew up with your mom. When you really want to go and chill, that's what your mom say. Hey, go and watch a uh, uh, plate. And then as we are watching plates, one day I will leave this house. I will leave this house. 
I'll leave this house for them. And for sure, one day you left. You left. You went to the university. You become the madam of your own self. You have to fix your own indomie now. You have to make your own bed now. And then, even the chilling that we're looking for, now your heart has been broken four times. Now you understand that mommy has always been right, isn't it? Now you are married. Now you have children now. Now most of you that were rebellious, God willing, eh? God was so smart. Your first child was a girl. And then now you and your daughter are fighting. And then you remember mommy was always right. The law of God is not just a law, okay, that is even for your good primarily. The law of God is a revelation of his character. And the difference between Israel and the heathen country is that in their possession is the law of God. What makes us Gentiles and make Israel covenant people is that there, was, there is a law of God at their disposals. The distinguishing mark between those who belong to God and those who do not belong to God is that he revealed himself to them by the way of his law. And, and this law, he gave Moses ten commandments. Thou shalt not have what? Another God before me. Law number two, you shall not make for yourself any image that looks like anything. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Number four, so, and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father. And what? Number six, Shall not steal. I should send some people out of this church. <laughs> Number six. Your children are looking at you now. Number six. You shall not commit adultery or stealing. Which one is number six? Yes. Number seven. That shall not commit. Number eight. You shall not murder. Number nine. And number ten. Covetousness. See. If this, if you don't understand this, you don't understand life. And I commend you to buy for yourself Westminster Larger Catechism and some of the commentary that expound the Ten Commandments. Every single fiber of your life is connected to the Ten Commandments. It is the revelation. Those who have come to understand the law of God have come to know God. You don't know God apart from his law. You don't know God apart from what he has revealed in his law about himself. This man is constant in the way that he has chosen because he believed that the God, the living God, is the God of law. Secondly, he also believed that the law of God is pure delight. The law of God this law of God. He's not just following this law like, okay, they say we should not carry a woman. Okay, let me not carry a woman. No, he has, he has come to know that this law is pure delight. Help me, church. What's the favorite food? What's the favorite food? Definitely, what's the favorite food? Jollof rice, of course. Unless Senegal now is a, 
has overtaken Nigeria as the best country that produces your rice now. Some of you like pizza. How many of you are forced to eat the food that you like? No. The word of God, the law of God is pure delight. Let me run through some scripture with you to, to, to support this point. About eight things about this law. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. I want to hear you turn your Bible. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. So, the law is holy. That's the first thing. The law of God is good and holy and just. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Secondly, the law of God is truth. Is truth personified. Psalm 119. Turn to Psalm 119. Are you all here with tablets? Why am I not hearing your Bible opening? Huh? So it will be like I'm lying to you. Psalm 119. Verse 142. Your righteousness is righteous forever. And your law is true. Psalm 119 verse 142. Also look at verse 151 of Psalm 119. But you are near, O Lord... And all your commandments are true. The reason why this man is latching himself to the law of God is that the law of God is pure delight. The law of God is good, holy, and just. The law of God is true. There's no lie in it. The law of God is perfect. Number three, the law of God is perfect, sure, right, and pure. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, Proverbs 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Number four, the law of God is not burdensome. First John chapter five. First John chapter five. Verse three. For this is the love of God. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. It is only a burden to sinners. The law of God is not burdensome. Number five, the law of God is light, is pure illumination. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching 
a light. Number six, the law of God is love. Romans chapter 13, verse 10. Romans chapter 13, verse 10. You stop opening your Bible now. Love does not, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The law of God is spiritual. Rome, Romans 7, verse 14. Romans 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. And I can go on and on. And the law of God is constant. March, March chapter 5, verse 18. Does this guy, you know, there's one of our cliche, the street cliche of Nigeria is that who no like better thing? Hmm? This man had come to taste of the goodness of the law of God, and he delights in it. And that is what someone is saying, that this man, his delight is in the law of the law. The God is the God of law, and this man delights in this law because this law is pure delight. He relishes in this law. This law is not burdensome, it's holy, it's pure. It's pure. This man is constant. Because he understands that the law of God is for all times. The law of God is for all times. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day, day and night. The law of God is for all times and season, day and night, all times. You can't take a holiday from the law of God. The law of God does apply to all hours, to all minutes, to all seconds of the day. The law of God, the law of God is for all times. So he applies his mind, his heart, his consciousness to it. Whether you are awake or sleeping, the, word, the law of God applies. And the law of God does have implication to life continually. And because the law of God is for all times, the Bible says in, uh, in, in, in that verse 2 that this man meditates on the law of God. What does it mean to meditate? A meditation is a deep, uh, a, a, a deep contemplation or turning over and around in the mind uh, to gain understanding and be changed uh, by God's uh, truth. This is not my definition. I got it from a dictionary. So the normal Eastern meditation, particularly through yoga, is that when you are meditating, you empty your, your mind. There is this cartoon. What is that cartoon, sir? That's just a cartoon. Inner peace. Oh, yeah, you know Kung Fu Panda. You see, you see them, you see sinners. Eh? So you know Kung Fu Panda. Hey, you part, is that three parts? Eh? Oh, inner peace. The, the, the unbelief in the Eastern meditation is that you're trying to empty your mind and get into yourself. Inner peace. 
inner light. But the Christian meditation is a complete contrast of Eastern meditation. It is filling your mind with the word of God. And the, the word meditation here in Hebrew is not just sitting down and just mulling over. It is a muttering, like, like, like as if you are speaking to yourself. To yourself. How many of you have found people that, that, that are working on this and they are talking to themselves? That's how Christian meditation is. That you are just on your own. I lift up my eyes to the hill. For where does my help come from? My help comes from the love of And then you, it's, it's, it's as if you are, you, are, you are crazy. You are always speaking. You are always repeating in your mind, in your heart. And sometimes comes out of your mouth the word of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want It's a coin. Of, 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 it's like your heart is boiling and then it's, it's trying to force itself out of your mouth. This man meditates day and night on the law of God. That is the past, it's constant in this pattern. The pattern of meditation. The pattern of delighting in the law of God. The pattern of knowledge that God is the God of law and God it's not lawless. In fact, the New Testament tells us that sin is lawlessness. In the third place, the fruit that this righteous man bear, the Bible says he brings off fruit, look at uh, verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, to prosper. prosper. What the Bible is saying, it's not saying if a man is righteous, all the contract that he is desiring, he will get. If the man is righteous, all the doors of visa to America is open to him. So let me go and get myself righteous. So that if I apply for American visa, I must get if I'm not owing God any tight, then God is obliged to do me to... God is like an ATM, ATM machine. Anytime I punch him, because I am righteous, he's under obligation to answer me. That's not what the Bible is saying here. Say, this man is not just a random man. He's a planting. There is a difference between a tree that just sprouts out anywhere and a planting. In a planting, a farmer takes a seed or takes something and deliberately put it down. So Christians are the plantings of the Lord. And they're not just random planting. Their location is deliberate also, planted by the rivers of water. And if you live in Palestine, some of you that have been to Jerusalem, if you have money, you will discover that those areas are deserts. So water... Water, water is key to life. Eh? And if you've been to the desert, big oak trees that are like mighty trees just sprout anyhow. They are found around uh, the, this, the, the rivers. And uh, of course, we live in Nigeria. You can see we, we, we are different. But cast your mind back to Palestine. If you are going to see any long-lasting tree that is doing well, is planted by the brook of waters. This man is a planting of the Lord, and he will bring forth fruits. Inevitably, a righteous man 
can never be fruitless. There will be fruits inevitably. Never say you bring up fruit in a season. What that means is that there are, you see, and that's where righteous people soft struggle. We are doing the best. We are following Jesus as a disciple, and we are not seeing any any fruit. Give you an example. If you're a missionary like myself, there are many times you you go to plant a church, you're going to preach the word of God, and nobody get converted. The missionary that came to our community came in 1919. Uh, between 1919, he got his first convert in 1927. Is that one a success today? Yeah? If you come to this church this morning, and there are about four people here, and this church plant has been in work for four years, what would be your judgment? What would be your judgment? Uh, God is not here. Four years, four people. Why are ah, no now? No now. This pastor needs some anointing. Go to Ghana. <laughs> Did I say that? <laughs> and then you come to a church, his people say, oh, God must be here. Even if the pastor is an adulterer, as long as crowd are following him, God must be here. And his, his second convert was 1932. And then before he could settle down to have our eight convert, Second World War came, and then he left. He was working on the translation of the New Testament and stopped in Romans. Before he came back, after the Second War in 1952, there were over 80 congregations already meeting. Those eight, ten people distribute those leaflets, this manuscript, around the whole place, and people started reading the Bible, not as whole, but in <laughs> in piece of paper. And the paper was so motivated. And today, if, the, if that man should come back to this world, he would be amazed what had happened to those feeble efforts in the 1920s. And this is true of all missionaries' endeavor. You know, the Baptists or the or the uh, the Anglican, those who came here in the at the beginning had nothing to show for their labor. But look at the whole country now. Look at the whole continent. A righteous man will surely bear fruit in his season. His the season cannot go over him. That's what the Bible is saying. The intended purpose and reason why God saved him will surely manifest in his due season. And he calls for patience. You might not see fruit today. Inevitably, that fruit will show up. That is what God is saying. And lastly, the future that this righteous man come to. And let me just make a word, because the last line says, whatever he does, he prosper. You know, if this is true, David would have complained in chapter 73, when he said his feet almost sleep, when he saw the prosperity of, uh, <laughs> of the wicked. Okay. So the blessedness of God is not so much about physical things, okay? Now, there's a church along the airport road that sits 100,000, according to them. I've not been inside, but they say you can see 100,000 people. Do you know, and then people say it's a blessing, hmm? Do you know if the Muslims want to build that thing in this city, they can build five of it, like this? In fact, one Muslim, that church that people were donating from all over the place, one small allergy, can put that thing down without noise. True or false? True or false? If the Muslims want to build one million capacity mosque, 
they can do it. It's just that the Muslim have a different priority. In all that the man does, in all that the man does, if it, it, as, as, as a man walk in the counsel of God, if God sent a man, he will prosper. In all that God sent him. You will not prosper in the thing that you send yourself. You will not prosper in the things that your community send you to go and do. You will not prosper. You cannot, most of us are so funny. We start help your, your, your neighbor. You, you start something. You start a relationship on your own. We have your own parameters. I need a tall girl, fair, educated at Covenant University or Landmark, or better still, Harvard. These are your, you, you, these are your parameters. Though you went to LEA, uh, <laughs> but now you have parameters. And then you find the tall girl, you find it nice, get on. Now, you want to invite God into it. Hmm? You are wondering why this fine girl, this celebrity, is stubborn. You are wondering why this celebrity will not cook for you. You are now wondering why this celebrity will not pray. You are wondering why this celebrity spent all her life in the spa and shopping and Dubai. And that's the pastor pray for me, my wife. It's over. It's, 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 it's too late. You can't, you can't micromanage God into your business. God is too big. He's bigger than that. God is always committed to what he initiated. He's not committed to your business. The husband you choose for yourself, the wife you choose for yourself, the school you choose for yourself, your business. But if God set a man, if God set a man, he will prosper in all the journey that God sent the righteous man. And finally, the future that this man comes to. The Bible says, the wicked are not so from verse 4, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, but are not sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. But the Bible is saying is that this righteous man, on the day of judgment, he will stand. He will stand before God. There will be a ground for him to stand on the day of judgment. He will not be ashamed. Having come into union with Christ and having been planted in the congregation of the saints, he will stand. He will stand. He will have a standing. He will have a standing before God. You know, there's this song we sing, I hear my Savior say, my, my, your, my son, your strength is small. The last verse said, and then before his throne, I stand in him complete. Jesus died to set me free, and my soul shall again, I'm not too sure of the last word, but this righteous man will stand, will stand in the judgment. The judgment is, in, is prefixed by definite article, in the judgment. And that judgment is what is waiting for every human being that lives on earth. The way of the just will lead to heaven, to paradise. The way of the wicked will lead to hell, to destruction. You see how this psalm was, was, uh, is, is constructed. It, believe, it begins with blessedness. Verse 1, blessed is the man. And the last word in this psalm is perish. 
The first word is blessed. The last word is perish. These two ways leads like this. One leads to blessedness with God. One leads to destruction in hell. My job is not to talk much about the wicked person. If you are in Christ, the righteousness of God has been imputed into you. You have a stand in God. And when on the last day you stand before God, because of the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, not what you have done, but on the basis of what Christ has done, that you have accepted into your life, you stand before God unashamed. The unrighteous people, the wicked people, who have no standing, the Bible says they're like chaff. No many of you are not farmers. How many of you have seen chaff before? You know, we were born in a city. It's Abuja, even a city. You know, some of you that are growing in Abuja say, I was born. Is this a city? I mean, you know, some of you now live in Pape, you call it Pap City. What is Pap City about Pape? You know, Pap City. So you know that about Shaf. You grew up in Pap City, so that's why you don't know about Shaf. The Shaf is the useless part of a seed that baggy people just do like this. Then the wind will carry it away. The wicked, wicked people have no standing. Either in the congregation of the saints, when saints are talking, when saints are gathered, they have no standing. And in the judgment, they have no standing. They will, you know, we used to think as, as children that on the last day, you go to the, you get to heaven, they will open the book of life, and God will adjust his glasses. Maybe angel, maybe angel, Gabriel. Hmm. What is your name again? Damilari. Damilari? Okay. Angel Marcus, give me the other file, please. And then they are just looking, looking. Okay. Oh, say ah. Okay. Your name is not there. And then I say, look. No, there's, actually, there's a song in my language that on the last day, God will tell you your name is not here. And the person no, look, 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 check there, check there. And you are insisting. And then the angel said, I have checked. I have checked. And then, and then they said, ah, you don't know I'm a pastor. Don't you know I'm from TBC? Check. And then the angel is not checking. Okay, you know they happen like that. You, you, the moment this life, this life is over. If you approach God, if you approach, if I thought you even approach near heaven, it's like it's like a, a gravitational force. Nobody's going to argue his case out with God in heaven. No, 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 no. You argue it here. You argue your case here now. Once you close this, your eyes. And then there is six feet and fine casket is, is purchased for you. It's over. It's over. You, you will not stand. And as I close today, plus all the applications I made last week, let me say this to us. Don't envy sinners. Don't envy sinners. Sometimes it's so boring to be a Christian. It's hard. There's a song we used to sing. It is not an easy road. We are marching to heaven. There are many thorns at the way. Don't, don't be so crushed that you don't have Philly Station. Uh, they are cheating us in this country. It's okay to fight for your fundamental human rights. But you should know that being a Christian comes at a cost. It comes at a cost of your life is self-denial. Jesus speaking to the disciples, if any man 
If any man wants to follow me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Don't envy sinners. Turn to Psalm 73, and that's where I'll anchor today. And look at sinners and how David saw them. 73, the book of Psalm. It's not even the, it's the, it's the Psalm of uh, Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as garments. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue scrubs through the earth. Therefore, these people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they said, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seems to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God then I descend their end. Truly, you set them in sleepy places and make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors and continuing. You are going to see a lot of your Yahweh, Yahweh friends who, who are doing well. Trust me. Trust me. Anytime I fly, and then I'm, you know, for some strange reasons, these airline people, they allow you to pass through first class. Most of the airlines, apart from the, the, the recent one, uh, but most of the, you see the big, the big men will sit down first. Eh? And then you are going to economy. Pass. And I used to scan. They are all, most of them are unbelievers, no? Business class. Then they serve them champagne. You know, if you are in a business class, the moment you check in, they are feeding you. If you are in the economy, you have to wait until one hour later. You know? Yes. You are going to see this construct. I'm going to see what is the benefit of being a Christian. I bet make Kukuku enjoy and die. You know the hell? Who has gone there and come back? No, don't envy sinners. Don't. Don't. Life without God is a waste of days. 
If you live for 100 years and have all the riches, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The life of a man does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. The blessedness of the church and those who trust God are not in wealth and physical riches. Whatever unbelievers can have cannot be the blessings that we are pursuing in church. If you are in this church because you want to have a visa, save yourself the time. If you are in this church because you want to have breakthrough, this is the year of breakthrough. You want that contract to come. Save yourself. Save yourself the stress. Just save yourself. There are many ways to get a contract done. Your Muslim friends are playing golf this morning and contracts are being signed. If you are in this church, Oh, because if I don't have children of my own, I'm not blessed. Save yourself the stress. Even prostitutes are having children. Every blessing that you think what you are looking for that unbelievers can have belongs to the realm of common grace. The blessedness, the real blessedness that our pursuit is we want to know God so much that his law becomes our delight. The day you get there, when your meditations and your cravings and the motions of your heart is the law of God, is to how to please God, then you begin to live. Every, and I know in this church, there are less than 1%, even among Christians, who has come to this zenith. Well, whether alive or sleeping, the law of God is your meditation. As you are signing in your business, the law of God is ringing in your brain. As you are driving, the scripture are cascading in your mind. You live for God. That is blessedness. You are not thinking about, you're not thinking about nudity, about foolishness. Thing. You are thinking about God. Because the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Oh, that this blessedness may come to God's people. Where well, 24 hours, day and night, you don't take a moral holiday. Just okay, let me serve God today on Sunday by the evening. No, many of you are like that. You are here now. You are checking your time. Most of you are even posting on Facebook right now as you are listening to me. Let pastor finish quickly. And I'm serious. Serious. And then, oh, Mayu is playing by 4 p.m. Let's quickly go. Let's quickly go. And then you just zoom out of the church. You are back to your Mayu. Mayu. Lord, it's not your affection. And the law of God seems so burdensome. Why are we going to church? You know, why are we doing this? Why, 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 why? You shall soon find out. There's a way of the righteous. May you find that way. I mean, you run away from the path that leads to destruction. Father, we thank you for your word today. Pray that your children might be blessed. And that we may take this to heart. And this become our devotion and the movement of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.